Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. There are two words, eight letters, that I tweeted on Saturday. And you better believe that on this show this week, it's going to be the kind of thing that we mention a lot. In fact, I'm hoping to see a lot of this from you on social media there as well. Just simply put, beat Bama. That's all it's about here this week. Yes, for Georgia, there's a national championship to pursue beyond this, and a lot of folks will tell you that Georgia's in the college football playoff no matter what happens on Saturday. I get all those future steps. But for right now, the only thing I'm worried about is the next step. And it's got really very little to do with the past and what's happened for Alabama before, and it's got very little to do with really anything other than it's just time to get this done. It's just time to stand across the field from this well-known foe, Nick Saban, the most recognizable figure in all of college football. It's just simply time to beat Bama. And so on Saturday, that is exactly what we will be going to Mercedes-Benz Stadium and showing up, hopefully ready to see and ready to enjoy. And we're going to spend the rest of the week here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia, um, discussing exactly how George will go about its business in doing just that. And I want to begin this way. We know from time to time coaches say things and they have a unspoken re- reason or unspoken meaning behind the words that they are, are using. Sometimes they're speaking through the media to their own players and sometimes they are speaking through the media to some rival coach or some rival program. And sometimes the words that a coach may use might be used as a way of taking a rival, a hated foe, down a peg or two. This is certainly something that Kirby Smart has done over the course of the years. Let me give you a brief example from this season, going back to the Florida game. Obviously, the Gators, once led by Dan Mullen, had incredibly difficult issues matching George from a recruiting standpoint. That's the kind of thing that Kirby Smart didn't shy away from flexing about. And a lot of the reason why Dan Mullen ultimately got fired from Florida is because Kirby Smart was saying things like this. Here's a quick example. Guys, if you don't recruit, there's no coach out there that can out-coach recruiting. Okay, I, I don't care who you are. The best coach to ever play the game better be a good recruiter because no coaching is going to out-coach players. There was a reason that Smart said what he said. That was supposed to shine a very negative spotlight on Dan Mullen, and for the most part, it worked. However, what Smart does to hated foes can also be done back to him there as well. And this is the kind of thing that I don't believe that Alabama coach Nick Saban has shied away from in the past. Clearly, Saban is bothered by Kirby Smart, a guy that he brought up as his chief lieutenant, as his you know, uh, probably most respected assistant that he'd had during his time there at Alabama. And yet, eventually, Smart left Alabama, went to Georgia, and began work immediately trying to tear down what he'd helped build at Alabama. And it's just human nature to say that if you're Nick Saban, you don't like that very much. That's not the kind of thing that you enjoy seeing happen. And Smart has something that Nick Saban can never you know, conjure back up. Smart's got the energy that comes from youth. Nick Saban doesn't have that. And so you better believe that also bothers Nick a little bit too. So much the same way that Kirby Smart, when he had a chance to try to take Dan Mullen down a peg and shine the light on how well Georgia recruits in comparison to how how poorly Florida does, you know, clearly Smart's going to take that opportunity. Nick Saban, when he sees a similar opening, he's obviously going to take that there as well. And he has done this many times. And the way in which Nick Saban has tried to shine a negative light on Kirby Smart was highlighting the way over the course of years that Alabama has embraced the offensive revolution in college football. And the fact that Nick Saban was so proud of himself for once being a coach that loved defense and loved running the football and loved physicality. And in the late stage of his career, he's been so willing to outsource large portions of the responsibility for the Alabama program to other people. Saban's not an offensive guy, but he's been willing to give a huge level of the uh, credit, level of the responsibility, a huge portion of the Alabama program over to the young offensive coordinators that he's had. And he's been so proud of himself here late in his career for being able to evolve in that way. And when he's had a chance to talk about that, he's clearly discussed that because a lot of folks think that's an area in which Kirby Smart has come up short. 
Smart hasn't fully embraced, at least at one point in time, it could be said, the offensive revolution, evolution that's taking over the sport. And a lot of folks think that that was maybe the reason why Georgia, up to this point in time, has not yet won a national championship under Kirby Smart. That's been pushed a lot. Nick Saban, I think, enjoys doing that. I think when he said things like this in the past, it's been clearly a in some cases, not so subtle jab at Kirby Smart, even though Smart wasn't mentioned by name. I've played this for you before, but as we go into Georgia-Alabama week here this year, it's important to be reminded of this once again. Nick Saban, this is from March. Boy, you can really hear everything that he's saying, almost dripping with disdain for the way that Kirby Smart runs his Georgia program, even though he doesn't mention Smart by name. Let's go back and hear Nick Saban. The game is different now. People score fast. I grew up with the idea that you play good defense, you run the ball, you control vertical field position on special teams, and you're going to win. Whoever rushes the ball the most for the most yards is going to win the game. You're not going to win anything now doing that. Right? Because A, the way the spread is, the way the rules are to run RPOs, the way the rules are that you can block downfield and throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, those rules have changed college football. All right? And no huddle fastball has changed college football. So I changed my philosophy about five or six years ago. Right? And, well, it was more than that. When Lane came here, we said we got to outscore him. So Nick Saban thought he was the smartest guy in the world when he said that, and he said things like that many times. But here's the thing I'm pretty sure I'm right about. And many of you, if you really think about this, I think you're pretty sure I'm right about this too. When Nick Saban looks back on what he said back in March and all the times in the past he said those kinds of things, I think privately Nick Saban is pretty petrified that he wasn't correct about that. I think pretty privately Nick Saban is kind of worried that maybe he embraced something that wasn't as permanent as he thought it was going to be. And and sure enough, having a guy like Lane Kiffin as your offensive coordinator worked out pretty well. You won the 2017 National Championship. And having uh, Steve Sarkeesian as your offensive coordinator last season clearly worked out well. You won the National Championship. But here's the problem with these kind of really sharp offensive minds. They don't stay around forever. Lane Kiffin went on to be a head coach. Steve Sarkeesian went on to be a head coach. You're constantly having to look for that next guy. And you're only as good as the next guy you're going to hire. And Bill O'Brien, the guy they have right now, is not reminding anybody of Steve Sarkeesian or Lane Kiffin. Plus, here's the other thing that is just true in life. There's no free lunch. Like Getting better in one area is going to cost you something somewhere else. And I can't fully explain why, but these programs that have fully embraced this, let's try to score 50 points a game. The program erodes in other areas, not just Alabama. Look at Ohio State on Saturday. It played Michigan, and it got shoved around all over the place. Alabama's got – oh, I should say Ohio State's got this pretty offense and, and, and quarterback C.J. Stratos in the Heisman conversation and as many wide receivers as anybody could have. But they played like a bunch of betas in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, and got shoved around by uh, Jim Harbaugh's team all day on Saturday. And you better believe that Nick Saban noticed that. And you better believe when Nick Saban tunes in and watches a game like that, that pit in his stomach kind of bubbles up a little bit of, oh my gosh, my team's not physical anymore, but look at these physical teams that are having success. And go to Saturday afternoon against Auburn. You don't think that Nick Saban was miserable watching his team get shoved around by by uh, Auburn all day long. Yes, they won the game and they, they pulled it out. A close win against a team that Georgia had blown out earlier in the year. But it's the way the game unfolds that I think is an, an, an issue for Nick Saban against Auburn. Knowing that this team is a far cry from the teams that, that he came up building uh, Alabama. And yes, he's fully embraced an offensive uh, evolution. But, but suddenly that offense isn't quite as dependable as it once was because you don't have a guy like a Steve Sarkeesian or a Lane Kiffin running it all for you. And then you turn your attention to the SEC Championship on Saturday. And here's the thing deep down I think we can all say. If Nick Saban had his choice, and you know this is true, if Nick Saban had his choice, he'd much rather be coaching Georgia on Saturday than coaching his own Alabama Crimson Tide team. He just would. Because this is the kind of team that Nick Saban brought to Alabama when he became head coach there in 2007, and he had Kirby Smart to help him do it. But once Smart left and went to Georgia, all of a sudden the five-star talent that used to go to Alabama and dominate defensively, all of a sudden now that starts doing the same thing for for UGA and if you don't believe me on this just listen to Saban in his own words it was an SEC coaches teleconference last night Nick Saban was asked hey you know you've talked about Jordan Davis everybody knows how good he is but beyond that 
What impresses you about Georgia defensively? And you better believe Saban has watched it closely enough that he knows all the details. He knows all the facts. He knows everything that's going on with this Georgia defense right now, and this is what he said. I think the fact that they've got like nine different players that have four and a half tackles for a loss, one guy has eight and a half. They got five different players that have multiple sacks. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, there's nine different players that have at least two sacks. So there's a lot of issues. Um, you know, there's, they've well coached. They had a good scheme. Players do a good job of executing it. Uh, they got good linebackers. They got good front people. They're aggressive in the secondary. Um, you know, this is a, this not this is not a one man wrecking crew. This is a really really good, you know, group of players who play well together. And uh, there's multiple players that have ability to make plays. You don't think Saban wishes he was coaching that? You don't think Saban remembers of when he had that? And yeah, he had Mac Jones. And yeah, he had Tua Tungavailoa. And yeah, he had all these wide receivers. But where are they now? What is Alabama offensively now? Still pretty good. But, but a shadow of what it was a year ago in a time in 2021 when it's the most physical teams that are actually dominating the highest level. Michigan, the Big Ten, Georgia here in the SEC, on and on you could go. Teams like Oklahoma, nowhere to be found right now in the college ball playoff a discussion. The finesse teams, which Alabama is in that group now, the finesse teams are, 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 are disappearing from the playoff discussion, like Ohio State, like Oklahoma. And we'll see what happens on Saturday. But you got to know that Saban's aware of that because much the same way he sees the dominance of Georgia and its defensive front and the way they're getting those sacks, those tackles for loss. He also looks at his own offensive line, and he saw it get dominated by Auburn on Saturday. That couldn't have felt good. And once again last night, Saban was actually pretty honest in admitting that. Well, obviously it wasn't very good. Um, you know, we, we didn't do a very good job of pass blocking. Um, you know, we, we didn't do a very good job of finishing blocks on the running plays. Um, so it's pretty obvious to everybody that, uh, we didn't execute very well, did a much better job in the second half, I think, um, wasn't always perfect, but much, much better. Uh, I think, um, some of the adjustments that we made, um, were a little better for them to execute relative to what the way you know Auburn was playing us so um we made some improvement during the game but it wasn't very good in the first half now let me be very clear about one thing I'm not saying all of this to say that for Georgia on Saturday it's going to be easy I'm not saying that Alabama still is really good even if they had you know too many close games here this year it is still obviously a really dangerous opponent. And obviously, when you have a quarterback, the capabilities of uh, Bryce Young, when you have a receiver like Jameson Williams, when you have you know, a John Mitch, when you have guys like that, you're obviously really hard to beat. And Alabama still has a guy like Will Anderson. This is, this is still a formidable foe. Don't get me wrong about that. But the sport this year is obviously moving in the direction of Kirby Smart. Look at the likely playoff teams. If the playoff were decided today, it's not just a Georgia. It's probably a Michigan. It's not just a Georgia and a Michigan. It's probably a Cincinnati. These are all teams that have embraced physicality. As I said before, Oklahoma watching the playoff on TV. Ohio State, as it stands right now, more likely than not watching the playoff on TV. Great offense, bad defense, a recipe for a Rose Bowl appearance or a, you know, something that's not the college football playoff. That's, that's where, where, where all of this seems to be going right now. And so for Georgia, it's a chance to use that advantage to its advantage. It's a chance to remind Alabama and Nick Saban, no, physicality still matters. Great defense still matters. Better line of scrimmage play still matters. And yeah, you know, you're going to have to have some explosive offensive plays to go along with that there as well. But it's a chance to show Georgia, for Georgia to show Alabama on Saturday that all the ways which Nick Saban said the sport had changed for good. Maybe that wasn't quite a change forever. Maybe that's not quite the way this is going to be defined, that, that – that the, the, the physical nature of, of what's made college football teams great for years, that it still matters here in 2021. That, I believe, if Georgia's going to win, is the recipe for how it gets it done this Saturday. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Hello to you, 945 on our first and 15, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon, App and Sports Radio 960, The Ref Podcast, The Apple Player, Spotify, WorldFamousDogNation.com. We post the show 
all the various platforms you can pick this up. We just appreciate you being with us for all of those. And a big thanks to our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia, making it all possible. You know, Pella Window and Door of Georgia can help equip your house with energy-efficient windows and doors. That's incredibly valuable because this is the time of year where the you know, the heat's on. It's cold at night, especially cold during the day today, too. When that heat's inside your house, especially with how expensive heating bills are right now, you don't want it escaping to the outside part uh, of your house. You don't, want it, you, don't, you, you don't want it sneaking out of your house through inefficient windows and doors. The crevices around those kinds of things, that's where Pella Window and Door of Georgia can step in. They can give you energy-efficient windows and doors, but they can also create something that looks good for you on the outside. An improved curb appeal can benefit you in so many different ways, including potentially the resale value when you get ready to go sell your homes. All of these things are great. Uh, Pella Window and Door of Georgia can also offer you that free in-home or virtual consultation to talk about all the installation options that are available to you. Uh, they can show you some samples and uh, things like that. And they can also give you great savings. Right now, you can replace all your windows with payments as low as $99 a month. So even more reason to get in touch with Pella Window and Door of Georgia today. Easy to do so. Website to go to. PellaofGA.com slash dognation. That's PellaofGA.com slash dognation. Or give them a call. 678-638-1496. That's 678-638-1496. Pella Window and Door of Georgia is viewed to be the best. All right. So here is what we're going to be doing over the course of this week. So many big things happening. I want to make sure you're aware of all of it. We have another big announcement coming up for you before the show is done today. But I want to remind you about this upcoming Thursday, Marlowe's at Brookhaven. This is going to be a great time to be there. Uh, Dog Nation returning to the Marlowe's in Brookhaven. Uh, going to be so much fun. We're going to preview the SEC Championship starting at 6 p.m. this Thursday. The uh, address, 3575 Durden Drive, Marlowe's Brookhaven location. Uh, I'm going to be there. Jeff Santel's going to be there. Connor Riley's going to be there. I believe we may even have another special guest who's going to be there uh, as well. I believe our buddy John Stinchcomb's going to be there too, um, that he's let me know that. So I'm excited about that. Uh, so you can be there for all of that. If you want to find out more, you can go to info at dognation.com for that. But I also want to make you aware of this, that we're continuing our giveaway here where Marlowe's has got a huge giveaway uh, that you can be a part of for the event, a special VIP table, which is going to be just a, a very fun and incredible thing all, all the way around that you have a chance to be able to enjoy. So if you go to info at dognation.com, you can register for your chance to win a table for four at the Marlowe's event. It's $150 food and beverage credit. What we've asked for is a trivia question. Uh, info at dognation.com is the address to send it to. Just tell us two recruits that over the course of the years have appeared with us at our Marlowe's Tavern events in the past. Over the course of the years, we've interviewed a number of recruits before they sign with Georgia. They're at Marlowe's Tavern. If you can, if you can remember at least two of those, send an e email to info at dognation.com and you could be selected for the big Marlowe's Tavern VIP table, which includes a spot for four and $150 food and beverage credit. So that's going to be incredible. We're going to see you there this Thursday, 6 p.m., Marlowe's in Brookhaven. That is going to be just an amazing event. I cannot wait for all of that. The Dog Nation team, our buddy John Stinchcomb, going to be there, and just a lot of fun stuff going on with that. Speaking of John, we'll get him in a moment. Let me squeeze in around the doghouse before we get there. It's assisted today by our friends at AAA. And obviously the Saturday game against Georgia Tech, I think I'll probably remember that on the field for Brock Bowers, who continued to add to the statistical feats that he's put together here this season. Obviously, it's it's beyond ludicrous that he wasn't a Mackey Award finalist. That was pretty much all that Twitter was talking about for a while there on, on Saturday afternoon. But, I mean, Bowers just put on a, a, a huge show. The touchdown where like you got the Tech defensive backs kind of converge on him, and he makes them miss. I'm not even quite so sure they even got a two-hand touch. On him, he goes for the touchdown, showing off the speed, gets another score there as well. He's just proven himself to be an unbelievable weapon for the Dogs thus far this season. And on the SEC coaches' teleconference last night, going into Saturday's game for the SEC championship, Georgia coach Kirby Smart did talk about the 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 unique nature of Bauer's success story, given the fact that it comes at a tight end position that doesn't always lend itself to young guys contributing in as dominant a fashion as Bauer's has. I thought it was good stuff from Kirby on Brock last night. Take a listen to this. It's rare to me to see a tight end and uh, and, and, and do the things he's done uh, as a freshman. I think we're going to see it more and more with these kids coming mid-year because you know it helped Brock to get here and get started like he did and get that um, that time under his belt. And uh, just no moment's been too big for him. I mean, he's 
I mean, going back to the Clemson game, it was just like another game to him. And we knew from that game when he started out catching it, running after the catch, I mean, he made some plays that um, this guy's going to be a weapon. But I'm trying, I can't think of any, you know, been some really, really talented freshmen in, uh, in our conference. But um, just at that position, it's kind of unique. So everything that Smart says about Bowers is true. He's on his way to being the most prolific pass-catching target thus far in the Smart era. You know, you make comparisons, and I think justifiably, to what George Pickens did as a freshman in 2019. That's the kind of year that Brock Bowers is having. However, here's the one thing I have to admit that is on my mind a little bit as you go towards Saturday in Alabama. And this, to me, is going to be one of those games within the game for the dogs. Let's go back and look at the game logs from early this season for Bowers. You know, he had six catches against Clemson, had three catches the following week against UAB, five catches the third game of the season against South Carolina, another four catches against uh, Vanderbilt, uh, you know, there that day, and, and including two touchdowns on September the 25th. The following week, in what was a big game at the time against Arkansas, and a good defensive mind in Barry Odom. Now, George won the game 37-0, so there was no issue for George on the field that day. But Bowers was held without a catch against a good defensive coach. Now, I'm not going to pretend to be smart enough to know why that was. Did Georgia feel like its game plan was just better running the football because there was so much for um, our Arkansas that was kind of dropping guys back in coverage? That's kind of the way Arkansas plays. Could very well be the case. Or was this an example, as I said before, a smart defensive coach like Odom saying, this has clearly been their most prolific pass-catching target, so we're going to make sure we take him away and force Georgia to do something different. I, as I'm just not smart enough to know which of those is, is which. It could be that both of those were, were true. But when you think about Saturday and the SEC championship, finding a way for Bowers to be as impactful in this game as he's been in other games, I do think is going to be one of those important games within the game because clearly Alabama is aware of all the stats I just rattled off. The fact that he you know, now has 10 receiving touchdowns on the year, 652 yards from the tight end position, that's a very prolific season. Can Alabama take Bowers away? Can Georgia still find a way to get him involved? Or can Georgia counterpunch off something else when Bama shades in the direction of Brock Bowers? I think that's a pretty interesting subplot here because, because clearly getting the most out of your best weapons is a big step for Georgia towards winning this game and how it unfolds for Bowers I believe will be one of those things we continue to watch. That is around the doghouse. It's assisted today by our friends at AAA, and I tell you this all the time that I'm obviously very much aware of the same circumstances in which most of you are living through right now, which is every dollar that you can hold on to really matters at the moment. You're looking for all the creative ways you can find to, to save money when possible. Well, that's where I can start recommending my friends at AAA. You know them for roadside assistance, and I'm always grateful to have that. But I also want you thinking about AAA for auto insurance there as well, because when you switch and save your auto insurance to AAA, you're going to save on average $529. That's real savings. That's a real deal. Let's show folks that website one more time if you don't mind there on that. $529 you can switch and save with AAA here today. It's AAA.com slash auto insurance. That's the website to go to, AAA.com slash auto insurance. You can switch and save with AAA. I think you'll be really glad you did. Stretching your dollars, making them go farther. That's one of the things that AAA will give you a chance to do. AAA.com slash auto insurance for more on that. AAA.com slash auto insurance today. All right, speaking of George Pickens, I mentioned him a little earlier. Before we're done on today's show, we'll talk about his triumphant return to Georgia Tech on Saturday. He did have a catch, but it's really more about the symbolism, the fact that he's worked as hard as he has to be where he is now, and also the curiosity that comes with, well, how big of a factor could he be? in the SEC Championship against Alabama on Saturday. If we're thinking about that, you know the Crimson Tide's also thinking about that. That, I can promise you, is a really good thing. But we'll also just celebrate a, a terrific moment of overcoming adversity for a guy like Pickens we've all loved for a great number of years. We'll do that. We're going to hit hard the coaching stuff today. Billy Napier to Florida, Lincoln Riley to USC. Boy, that's a, a shocker, and that's certainly plenty of a conversation started right there. So we'll do both those things before we're done in today's program. But a lot to do with Georgia and Alabama. The edge for Georgia along the line of scrimmage, I believe that's pretty prominent, and I believe it's the kind of thing that Georgia's got to find a way to exploit as it takes on the Crimson Tide on Saturday. So that and so much more as we get a, as we get a classic city logger insider update with John Stinchcomb right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. 
We will say hello to John Stinchcomb. Always great to have him as a part of what we're doing here. And uh, great to think about Classic City Lager there as well. To go great with whatever plans all of you have. Getting ready for the SEC Championship on Saturday. John, I trust that you had a great Thanksgiving. I know you love seeing Georgia go 12-0 and on Saturday. And I know your attention, like the rest of us, gets pretty quickly focused on that Alabama Crimson Tide. I said before you joined us, there's no doubt in my mind that if Saban had his choice, he'd much rather be coaching Georgia on Saturday than coaching Alabama. Do you agree with that? I think every coach in this country would prefer to coach for Georgia this year. It's loaded. They continue to play at a really high level, and I can't wait, like most Georgia fans, for the opportunity for Georgia to, to, to beat the best and have that Ric Flair moment. Yeah, to be the man, you got to beat the man. I love that reference. We always have respect for history around here, and that's certainly uh, history worth, uh, yeah. worth mentioning. But I, I guess it does come down to me for this, though. Is that, and I just spent you know a good bit of time at the top of the program talking about the significant advantage that I think that Georgia enjoys along the line of scrimmage. But that enough, that that alone is not a guarantee. You know, it's still the job of Georgia to make sure it matters. I mean, it's one thing to say you got that on paper going into the game. It's another thing to say, and then during the game you utilize that advantage to the fullest extent that, that, that it could be. So even if you and I both will look on paper here and say comparative scores, statistical data, you know, all the things that point to the advantage that Georgia has, a great defense, maybe the best we've ever seen against an Alabama offense is also really good, but finding a way to, to utilize that advantage is still the job of this Georgia coaching staff and these Georgia players moving throughout the rest of the week, right? Yes, and then let's start with that Georgia defense side of the ball. You know, Alabama, they have weapons. I mean, they've got a, a quarterback that can sling it. He's in the Heisman conversation as as uh, one of the front runners, top two probably in, in that discussion. And they've got wide receivers that can make plays down the field. I think what Georgia recognizes and what, what we saw on Saturday from Auburn is they have to affect the quarterback. And you, you saw, what was it, five sacks in the first half? And yeah. uh, Auburn knew they could had an opportunity to get after him and not give uh, him time in the pocket to, to – work through his progression, that's what you want to see from Georgia and what Georgia's capable of. You, you want to see um, the, our front four, and when I say front four, really there's about eight guys that roll through there, and our linebackers, I, I, I don't know if I've seen a group of linebackers more effective at, at getting after the quarterback. It's not just uh, they can get sacks if they're unblocked. I mean, they are beating not only running backs, but offensive linemen um, when they rush the passer. So that that's the game plan, right? You, you go into Saturday and say, we've got to affect this pocket. We've got to move Bryce Young off his spot and, and, and rack up the sacks because we have an advantage there. We have, yeah, and not just on paper. I mean, the, the performance that is expected um, from Georgia's front seven versus Alabama, that's what you have to lean on, and, and that's fully the way I expect uh, Georgia to attack this Alabama offense. Now, the flip side of this is I expect Bryce Young to try to run against Georgia more than he's running all season long. I think they've been worried there in Alabama about what would happen if he ran too much and got injured. I don't think they have very much depth as a backup quarterback right now, but the time for worrying about that is over because if Alabama loses on Saturday, its season almost certainly is over at that point just based on the way things have been kind of unfolding the last you know couple of weeks here. So the time to take the bubble wrap off young is probably on Saturday. And to be frank, uh, John, if I was in the position of coaching against you know Georgia, I think a running quarterback is probably about as dangerous as anything because that guy gives you a chance to go away from the middle of the field, which we know is such a strength for Georgia right now. And you get the extra blocker you know that way if, if you've got the running quarterback there at that point. So my guess is Alabama tries the running quarterback thing a pretty good bit on Saturday. I think they'd be smart to do so. I mean, for Georgia, as you said, it's going to be the risk versus reward game of you can't be so respectful of the quarterback run that you don't continue to try to be aggressive getting into the backfield. But obviously, you've got to take your shots well and not create running lanes for Young because you were so aggressive at coming after him. That's a fun – I've talked about games within the game. That's kind of a fun game within the game right there as well. I think that Young will run. I think that Georgia's got to get pressure on him without creating more opportunities for him to do the quarterback run thing, and that's probably worth watching all night long. Yeah, for a running quarterback, I think the number one way to stop those type situations is, is really good play from your linebackers. I mean, they have to – 
understand where their assignments are and, and be able to uh, take away that opportunity from, from an offense. And obviously that's a huge strength for Georgia. I think it's almost an underrated, although it's getting more attention outside of just N'Kobe Dean. I mean, N'Kobe Dean should be in the conversation of one of the best defensive players in, in football this year, and he's not alone. I mean, you, across the board, um, again, a, a position of depth where guys are rolling in and there's not a huge drop-off in play. As a matter of fact, it stays at an elite level. Um, just, golly, there's so many guys that can run and understand what they're doing. But, you know, if you're Alabama, you, you recognize we can't just sit back in the, in the pocket and expect a traditional attack to, to be effective, I don't think. I'm a, I would fully expect them to try to move the pocket. They're trying to get an you know, athletic quarterback, which they do have in Bryce Young, um, on the move. I, I see it more of as a, a play action or boots or just uh, you know moving the pocket instead of your traditional five and seven yards behind the center setup because that's just that doesn't make sense not against uh, this Georgia defense and and really I think it comes down to the play of, of Georgia's linebackers to limit the amount of uh, plays Bryce makes with his feet. So. We saw James Williams leave the game against Auburn, the, the targeting call. Obviously, if that had happened in the second half, he'd be out for the first half of the Georgia game, but that's not the way that unfolded. And you think about what a deep threat he's been for Alabama all year long. And, John, when you think about the way that Georgia plays, it is quite content putting its cornerbacks in a really tough situation. They're not going to get a lot of safety help. They're going to be forced to, to guard a guy like Williams. And here's the thing, John. Alabama's going to strike for a big play on Saturday. They may even strike for a couple. I think if you're a Georgia fan, you're watching this game, and listen, I'm a huge UGA fan. You better believe I'm going to be on pins and needles throughout the entirety of the game. But you can't get too nervous about giving up the big play. You just can't. It's going to happen at some point in time. The thing that I think is you know, you got to take some comfort in if you are a Georgia fan is watch what those safeties do. You know, you know, Watch the way that that you know Georgia's not going to like draw them back and, and you know put it in, in some sort of safe defense where you try to keep the football in front of you. Georgia, I think, is going to continue to try to be really aggressive and be content with knowing that if you put your cornerbacks in a tough, challenging spot for a full sixty minutes, the idea that a big play gets given up at some point in time is probably likely to occur. You just can't give up too many. You got to make sure you have your own big plays to answer, whether it be defensive havoc plays or offensive explosive plays yourself but you, as a fan john i just think you can't panic if georgia gives up the big passing play because once or maybe twice during this game on saturday it's probably going to happen and, and alabama let's be honest here outside of this performance that we all all probably saw on saturday with the overtimes against an unranked yeah. auburn team that didn't have their starting quarterback um alabama's has been a top two, three, four team all season long. So they are very capable. Um, that's that's not in question. I think uh, you can't lose sight of the fact that Alabama is dangerous and they've been able to score points and they've uh, done this and set a, a program and have an identity of knowing how to win games. So yes, that is all part of the equation. With that said, Georgia's the best team in college football right now. Yeah. And their ability on defense has been elite and stays that way. Um, and, and part of that is understanding uh, their their ways of attacking an offense. I mean, as a cornerback, I need to know um, where my help is, what, what uh, the pros and cons of each defense are. And I think our guys do that really well. They understand what their assignments are. They understand the risk of each um, each blitz and, and when you're in coverage and where your weaknesses are and where your help is, I think that comes with maturity. And despite this being really Keely Ringo's first year of, of significant play for Georgia, um, the way he and Kendrick and, and really that whole secondary understands and works with one another, I think that's what's limited most uh, to play the big plays that have not come from from opposing offenses i think back to the tennessee game there was a couple of opportunities um where uh, a receiver might have gotten behind i think it's south carolina there's a play and they haven't connected on those and part of that is the pressure that the quarterback is under if you don't let him sit back there and 
you know, set his feet and, and really dial in where he wants to get the ball, it's hard to connect on those plays. It's hard to pinpoint, uh, have pinpoint accuracy on a deep ball when Jalen Carter or Jordan Davis or Nolan Smith or any of the rest of these nightmare defensive linemen and linebackers are breathing down your throat. I mean, that's part of, of the way this defense plays and, and it works complementary for these defensive backs to, to be much more aggressive and play the way they have all season. We talked about this last week and it seems relevant again right now. You know, Georgia just hasn't played anything that wasn't a glorified scrimmage since the first game of the season. You know, Alabama once again on Saturday was in a fight for its life against Auburn, multiple overtimes, having to score in the final play to win it. And I'm pretty confident in saying that I much prefer Georgia's scenario on that, getting its mind rested, body rested, everything else for, for a game like this. But there are going to be some people who say, man, how does a team like this, like Georgia, respond in a close game or maybe facing a deficit? Let's say Alabama were to strike on a big play early, all of a sudden Georgia's playing from behind. Something it has just not, it just has only done for a few plays all year. Is there any concern on your part that Georgia hasn't played in a close game in such a long time that it may be uncomfortable knowing how to respond if it gets into one of those? I think one of the biggest strengths of this team is the maturity and uh, just focus that they possess. The identity of this team has never been dictated and never been affected by their opponent. And whether it's you know, a lesser opponent or it's college game day on a Saturday, the same team who shows up. And, and what that is an indicator for me is, is great leadership and um, a selfless approach and a team that really understands what's at stake every time they take the field. And that's, um, that takes a lot. I mean, it takes, it takes a lot of focus. It takes a lot of term, determination. It takes a lot of selflessness. And that's what we see from this team. And, um, yes, they, they haven't played in that amount of close games, but you, I think part of that is their approach. Uh, the Tennessee first quarter, right? It, it didn't go exactly um, how every Georgia fan wants, but you have to play 60 minutes. And never did we see any uh, immature plays, right, where, where it's selfless or, or selfish, excuse me, where guys are getting down or – they get frustrated, and all of a sudden you see penalties start coming up and unsportsmanlike uh, penalties and plays where you're just going, that's a boneheaded move. We don't see any of that from this Georgia team. They are constantly, I, I think there's such faith and, and belief in one another in that um, no matter what the situation, we can overcome it, we can do it together, we have the talent, we have the team, we have the coaches. Uh, I think that's the way they play. And so when and if... Uh, they are in a tight game, whether it's against Alabama, which I hope not, nor do I predict. I think there's a good opportunity that Georgia laces them and, and mm. really you know, says there's a new sheriff in town. I think that's a strong possibility for Saturday. Um, but if it doesn't play out that way, I think there's the maturity and focus and, and selflessness that it demands when you're in a tight game that you, you don't press too hard, you don't try to play outside of your ability, you don't try to overcome and, and get frustrated and uh, all of a sudden you're distracted from what your assignment is from immature teams that, that are in those situations that don't know how to handle them. I don't see that happening for this Georgia group. I want to ask you one more thing before we let you go. First, let me remind folks, it's our Classic City Logger Insider Update with John Stinchcomb. And, of course, a lot of you enjoyed some Classic City Logger over the Thanksgiving break with family and friends, and it always goes great in situations like that. A lot of you plan on enjoying it as we head through the holiday season. Of course, the uh, run for Georgia towards what we hope is a championship there as well. It's a taste of Athens, but you don't have to be in Athens to get it. It comes from Creature Comforts Brewing Company, and it's available wherever you're doing your shopping. Six and 12-pack cans. So as you're getting those holiday party items, you know, you have that long shopping list you have for all the big fun things coming up in December, grab yourself some Classic City Lager to go with that there as well. It's a lager-style beer, lighter in color, but no sacrifice from flavor. It's a craft-style lager from our friends at Creature Comforts Brewing Company. You're going to love Classic City Lager. Many of you already do, so take this as a reminder to take some with you where you're heading uh, during this holiday season, including your tailgate on Saturday for the uh, big game coming up in Atlanta. Classic City Lager is just good cold beer. I'm a simple guy. I like simple things, and from Creature Comforts Brewing Company doesn't get any more simple than that. Just enjoy yourself some Classic City Lager today. All right, John, when you look at Kirby Smart over the years, including this 
past year against Florida, the leaked audio that comes out of that, we know that Smart knows how to push the extreme motivation button when he needs to. We've seen some other of these videos that kind of sneaked onto the Internet uh, over the course of time. Then when it's time to really get people frothing at the mouth, Smart knows how to do that. Is this one of those days where you need to do that for Alabama? And I'm asking you this because, you know, Sean Payton got you guys ready for a Super Bowl win at one point in time, and you're older at that point than these guys are for a big college football game. But when it comes to championship game, when it comes to legacies on the line, how much of that is about trying to calm the emotions down? How much of that is about trying to find that same edge that smarts seem to be able to – kind of stir up for the Florida game a few weeks ago. Which of those two buttons are you trying to hit for a day like this? <laughs> Is it the whip or the carrot? Right, 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 right. Which, right. which way are you going? Um, well, I think you have to know your team. I, I think this, you know, again, I think there's such incredible leadership. I, I love listening to these players after the game. I like hearing the clips from Nolan Smith talk about uh, Stetson Bennett and the faith that they have in him. Um, it just seems like there's such maturity in this group that, you know, for a coach, it's liberating. It's liberating when you've got players that buy in and understand and they want to lead and you just got a really special group. And that's what I think uh, exists in Athens. I mean, yes, you have to have great coaching and, and X's and O's, and sometimes you need the, the incredible motivator on the staff, but what makes special teams truly special is player leadership. And I think that's what uh, this group has in spades. And, you know, there was the years where we often point to when Lorenzo Carter and Nick Chubb and, you know, the the other four guys of their six that came back and you could easily identify here are six guys that selflessly serve. And it, it really created an identity and uh, in that team that, you know, you witness them go to the Rose Bowl and, and beat Oklahoma. I think this team has a, a very similar makeup in that um, the leadership comes from the locker room and that you've got guys uh, that, that understand and take that role and it doesn't put an extra burden on the staff to say, hey, do we need some gimmicks? Do we need some gimmicks this week to, yeah. you know, put rat traps out there or uh, what are the slogans or, or, or motivators we need for this team to keep them focused? I think right now that's all coming from from the locker room, and it just gives an opportunity to, co- to Coach Smart and really the rest of the staff to just keep that engine running hot and just keep the uh, everyone as focused as possible. So uh, this week, I, I, I don't think you need a lot of extra because it's very clear for years Alabama has been a team to beat, and this is your the best opportunity Georgia's had. We've had some good ones, but this is by far the best for us to stake stake there our claim that there's a new sheriff in town, and it, it runs red and black instead of that burnt Auburn crap. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, I wish it was Saturday right now. It's going to be a long way to get to the uh, game, but we got a lot to do to get us ready for that, including this Thursday, Marlowe's in Brookhaven. John, I understand correctly. You're going to be with us for the Thursday at Marlowe's. Do I have that correctly? Yes, sir. I can't wait. I'm, hey, this week it's all dogs all the time. There right? you go. I love go. that. Yeah, so uh, we're going to add John Stinchcomb to the uh, list of distinguished visitors. Joining us the Marlowe's in Brookhaven on Thursday, as John said, it is all attention on the SEC Championship on Saturday, and we'll do everything to get ready for that there at the Marlowe's at Brookhaven on Thursday night. In fact, there's going to be some classic city lager enjoyed at the Marlowe's in Brookhaven on Thursday, I'm being told there as well. So it's that kind of week. Mm. John, thank you for being with us. I really, really appreciate it. I love everything you said today. I think it's spot on in every way imaginable. We'll chat with you some more this week. I'll even see you for Chase for the championship there as well as we talk about the latest playoff rankings that will come out on Tuesday and kind of what this playoff is looking like around Georgia. We don't have time to get into this right now, but it is way different this week than I probably thought it was a week ago. So that's really interesting too. John, there's just so much going on right now, and it is so much fun to see Georgia at the center of all of it. And it, I can't wait. It's so it's it's always great to be a bulldog, but uh, this season is certainly lined up to be a very special one. And uh, there's a great opportunity to really clear a high hurdle on Saturday against uh, the cup bearer for the SEC for so many years that I think Georgia's got a real prime opportunity for 
capping a, a special year in a very elite way. So great to be a Bulldog. Great stuff, John. Thanks for being here. We'll talk to you on Thursday. Look forward to it, B.A. Go dog. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Man, I, I tell you what, and everything he's saying is true. I mean, there's, there's not one thing that John Stinchcomb right there said that is in any way factually inaccurate. And yet, when you hear him, who's, I would say that John, like I'm like the emotional roller coaster. I'm always, you know, screaming and yelling or whatever else. John is a lot more even keel. It's one of the reasons why we like to have, you know, guys like that on the show. John is kind of the, sometimes the yang to my yin or however you say that. Uh, you know, he's, you know, that's just kind of what he provides. And yet John, in no uncertain terms, saying that this is the best chance that Georgia's had to beat Alabama. It all sets up well for Georgia. There is a lot of confidence dripping off John Stinchcomb's words, and I take that to mean something. I, I really do. Oh, my gosh, what a week it's going to be getting rid of the SEC championship. Nothing guaranteed, but nobody shying away from saying that Georgia has got itself a big opportunity on Saturday. And you know what? You have yourself a big opportunity there as well because in the midst of all of this, we also have a huge announcement to make for you there as well. We go cruiser in the SEC, courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean, and it's time to tell you that the Royal Caribbean Dog Nation Cruise is going on sale today. Y'all, in April, this is going to be incredible. We're going to be on Independence of the Seas, leaving April the 25th, Going to be going Perfect Day, Coco Cay, NASA on the Bahamas, on the wonderful Independence of the Seas. This is going out of Port Canaveral. This is going to be such an incredible event. It's the week of the NFL draft. We're going to have a big draft party there that Thursday night. We're going to have special Dog Nation events throughout the week there, too. Uh, but we're just going to be celebrating what we think is going to be a really special season for Georgia and a, and a great year, obviously, for Dog Nation. And we want you to be a part of it there as well. Uh, Independence of the Seas is a beautiful ship. You've seen me talk about Perfect Day, Coco K a million times before. Uh, I'm going to be here on this. Our buddy Mike Griffith is going to be there. Jeff Sintel is going to be there. Uh, we're just going to be there having a good time, enjoying the fun, the sun, enjoying all the luxurious amenities that Royal Caribbean's famous for. Y'all, this is going to be unlike anything we've ever done for Dog Nation. And the time to get on board literally is right now on sale today so if you go to dognation.com you can find a link to go ahead and book your travel to be a part of the dog nation cruise as i said before it leaves out april 25th it's gonna be the 25th and the 29th but you got to get going on this today uh or at least it, it starts today but it's time to start thinking about it. it's time to start getting booked up and ready to go on this so please join us for the dog nation cruise i am so excited about being a part of this with our friends from royal caribbean our friends from the Cruise and Vacation Authority, they're helping us out with all this as far as getting everybody such away with their travel. Yo, I cannot wait to see all of you on board the Independence of the Seas with Royal Caribbean later on in the spring of 2022. What an amazing time that's going to be. Now, Cruiser on the SEC, we got big news to get to. So Florida made a coaching hire yesterday, brought in Billy Napier from Louisiana. Louisiana Lafayette, you may uh, think of the Raging Cajuns as being known. And, you know, Florida fans are all over me right now because I kind of made fun uh, of all of this. That's what I'm going to do, of course. And, you know, th there you go. There's Billy Napier being announced as a Florida uh, coach. He's the Gator Nation. Let's welcome head coach Billy Napier to the swamp. And, you know, in response to me kind of poking fun at this, like the, the thing that the Florida fans come back with is, well, you know, B.A., you got to realize this guy was uh, assistant coach at Alabama. Look at all the receivers they signed. Or he worked at uh, Clemson. Look at all the success they had there while he was working there. And all the, the um, you know, the the, the resume, the, the, the track record for success as an assistant coach. And then he's won some games there at Louisiana. Like, I get all of that. There's a chance that Billy Napier is a good coach at Florida. Like, like there's no obvious reason that he won't be. You understand that? That uh, you know clearly there's a, a distinguished resume here of success as an assistant. He's won at Louisiana. Now some of those wins have been close wins against bad teams, but let's just give him credit for that. Sake of conversation, he's won there. So so if you need to hear me say there's a chance that Billy Napier is successful, yeah, there, there's definitely a chance of that. But what I said yesterday was is that it ought to scare Florida fans a little bit that right there in the state of Louisiana, LSU also needs a coach, and they're not giving Billy Napier the time of day. And the last three coaches that LSU's hired have all won national championships. So clearly they know, that program knows a little something about making coaching hires, and yet they're not really going in the direction of Billy Napier. Now maybe that's because LSU's got too much bravado, too much arrogance. Maybe, they, you know, maybe they're going to be 
remembered as fools for doing this, but if I'm a Florida fan, it makes me a little nervous. Here's the other thing there as well. For all the Florida fans who want to brag about the resume of Napier, and, oh, look what he did as a wide receivers coach at Alabama or as an offensive coach at Clemson. Look at, all of, you know, look at all of that. The truth is any coach that, um, that gets hired at a place like Florida is going to have a similar kind of resume. That nothing about Napier's resume guarantees that he's a sure thing. Here's the thing you just got to be very, very well aware of. And this is not me being Chief Gator hater, although I enjoy playing that role. This is me being as serious with you as I've ever been before. Florida has failed with its last three head coaches. What happens to any program if they fail four coaches in a row? Listen, I love Will Muschamp, but people know how the Muschamp era ended there at Florida. Jim McElwain era, uh, total embarrassment. Dan Mullen era, finishes in shame. And now you're, you're, you're turning your attention to Billy Napier. And you're crossing your fingers, hoping what's basically a coin flip. You know, you know he's the hot name on the Group of Five level. By half the time those guys work out, by half the time they don't. So Florida's failed three coaches in a row, and they flipped a coin, hoping this guy's going to work out. But if it doesn't, what happens to the Florida program after that? And I mean this literally. That at a certain point, you stop being the program that wants won national championships because. 2008 to whenever the future of the Billy Napier era is gets to feel like a really long time. And you stop being the program that's in this hotbed for recruiting. The state of Florida is. But y'all, there are a lot of programs that exist in hotbeds that don't have any success whatsoever. I mean, look at the Texas schools. I mean, look at how bad Texas has gotten, even though they're the flagship university in a hotbed state. Texas A&M has, for the most part, never really won anything, despite the fact they're incredibly close in proximity to elite recruits if florida is not careful they're going to go from being one of the giants of college football to being one of the sleeping giants of college football and that's always a backhanded compliment the kind of program that should be good it's so close to all these great players it's it's got history you know uh of success but all of a sudden that history of success is decades ago if florida's not careful they will lose what they once had so, yeah, there's a chance that Billy Napier going to be a great coach. Obviously, the resume would suggest that's a possibility. But a lot of these group of five guys with great resumes end up not being very good. If that be the case, then Florida may have wished it had gone for more of a sure thing. Florida Matt would have wished that it could have done what USC did yesterday. And if you want an example of that, uh, I mean, look at USC football there. We got our guy in Lincoln Riley. I mean, isn't that the kind of hire that Florida's supposed to be making? the kind of hire that USC made yesterday. I mean, just look how quickly the name Billy Napier completely disappeared from the entire news cycle yesterday. USC made such a big hire that a few minutes after Florida made its coaching hire, and yet there was virtually no discussion of Florida once the Lincoln-Riley news dropped. Aren't those the kind of waters that Florida's supposed to be swimming in? The kind of coach that you have not a coin flip's chance of success? but a verified guaranteed level of success, that's what a guy like um, that's what a guy like Lincoln Riley brings to USC. It is almost a given that USC will be in the college football playoff at some point with Lincoln Riley because that's what Riley has done. Now, will, will he win a national championship? I won't go that far. But will he make Pac-12 title games and play for college football playoffs? History suggests that he will. Nowhere near the same level of guarantee there at Florida. Now, let me also kind of fully focus my attention on Riley for a moment. I'll add my name here to what everybody else has been saying on this too. It is fairly obvious that Lincoln Riley is just afraid of the SEC. Had a chance to get big dollars from LSU, which is clearly right now a better job than USC. I told you this a couple of weeks ago, or a few days ago at least. Lincoln Riley didn't have the stones to go to LSU. Just, he just doesn't trust himself in that environment. Too scary for him. And Oklahoma's about to be in the SEC in a couple of years, and once again, Lincoln Riley knows that's just not the right place for him. I talked off the top of the show about how that finesse football is not really in style very much right now. Riley knows that he's a finesse coach. And right now, finesse programs are getting stuffed in lockers. And running out west, far away from the SEC, with very little true threat to your potential to dominate. I mean, Arizona State's bringing back Herm Edwards right now. How embarrassing is that? Uh, UCLA's nothing. Uh, On and on you could go with, you know, just how wide open the opportunity is in the Pac-12. You're as geographically far removed from the SEC as you could be, and Lincoln Riley knows that's where he belongs. Being a big fish in a small pond seems to suit him pretty well. 
And that's clearly what all of this is about. Now, I also take it pretty seriously that LSU, apparently there were some people in Baton Rouge that really thought they were getting him. And I think they were pretty shocked by all of this news there. The the shock for them started on Saturday night when Riley said during his post-game press conference after winning Bedlam that he would not be taking the LSU job. And then to see that USC swoops in here and gets him, that's probably a pretty big punch in the gut there for LSU. Scott Woodward, the AD, is a guy who likes making big coaching hires. He likes swinging for, for big names like this. And you're kind of left to wonder now for LSU, is there a big name that you can go after? I don't know. It's still, to me, the best job that was available, but it's somewhat ironic that it was also among the first jobs available here during this offseason. It's, now it's a, it's a coaching job that's still not filled. So here's what you kind of are left to wonder with as far as how the coaching carousel spins to, in response to all of this. The Oklahoma job is open. There are a couple of SEC names that you could hear in the mix for this. Josh Heupel is obviously a former Oklahoma quarterback and a former Oklahoma assistant. I don't think this is going to get very serious, but for everybody yesterday, there was this immediate thought of, hey, you know, does, does Heupel get in the mix? And, and Tennessee, which has had a hard time holding on to coaches, including losing Lane Kiffin after one year about a decade or so ago, does the same thing happen again right now with Josh Heupel? My guess is that's probably not the case. Remember, he's working for Danny White there in Knoxville right now. That's his old boss at UCF. That may be a comfortable scenario. For Mark Stoops at Kentucky, one way or another, you know, this could really be an issue here where all of a sudden, you know, Stoops shows up as a candidate to, to follow in, in Bob Stoops' footsteps, his brother Bob's footsteps uh, there at Oklahoma, or maybe Mark Stoops becomes the seemingly big name and at least he's an established SEC coach that LSU goes after here. Uh, Stoops is going to be a big part of this coaching carousel as it continues to spin. And then you wonder, well, what happens at Kentucky if Stoops leaves? Uh, part of me did kind of wonder, you know, <laughs> does Dan Mullen take the Kentucky job? I, I, that's just speculation on my part. But I was at least considering that, at least thinking about that. But there's no doubt that the Riley move has big-time reverberations here. And I think it's fairly obvious that he just wants no part of the SEC. And for Florida, who made its coaching hire yesterday, having to now hope that Billy Napier works out, USC goes out and makes a coaching hire that – Hope doesn't even factor into the equation. They're getting a proven commodity. They're getting a big winner, a guy that's been to multiple college football playoffs. And if you're a USC today, you have to view yourself as a big winner. And if you're a Florida fan, you have to hope you didn't get this one wrong. Because if you get this one wrong, you may not get another chance to play with the big boys for quite some time. That is Cruiser on the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. All right, here on Dog Nation Daily, uh, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, I also want to turn our attention to uh, back to Georgia here for a moment. And I want to talk about what happened on Saturday against Georgia Tech. Another one of the really enjoyable moments on Saturday was the return of George Pickett. He didn't play a ton, did have a catch, and it is certainly not a given how much he's going to contribute against Alabama in the SEC Championship or in the college football playoff or anything like that. But for now, I'm just content to be happy that this happened because George has worked really, really hard to get to the spot where he is right now, and he should he should just be celebrated for it knowing that he had a lot of other easier choices that he could have made. But this is the choice that he chose to make. And I think that Georgia fans ought to notice it, they ought to acknowledge it, and they ought to really put him on a pedestal for doing so. So here's a little bit of Kirby Smart on what it means for Georgia to have George Pickens back doing what he's doing. This is Kirby from Saturday. I thought it meant a lot to him to hear that. He knows uh, he's very charismatic. He, like, he, he has a great personality in football. Like you practice for the last – three weeks I guess four weeks I don't know how long it's been he's been a he's a joy to have out there because he's like an energy ball you just you know you never know what he's going to do he goes up and catches balls and competes and uh, brings juice to practice um, like he always has and um, he's made some really good plays in practice you know he hasn't uh, really been clear for contact until the end of this past week and I just thought it meant a lot to him to get out there and try to gain some confidence you know some things he could have done better um, that he wasn't perfect at and um and he's got to continue to to get involved in some things. And, he, and he's still not. I mean, he, he's safe and he's cleared, but he's not. He's not 100 percent right now. You know, he's got that. He's got the knee brace on, and I think he's pushing that. But we're proud of uh, the GPS numbers he's hit. I mean, I think that you have to acknowledge that this is not just a story of Pickens and what he came back to be a part of, but it's also a story of 
the kind of atmosphere created around Georgia as a program right now that's so magnetic for a guy like this. It could have made a, an easier decision. Could have, you know, just turned his attention to the next phase of his football life. But that's not something he wants to do. Right now, Georgia's the kind of program that players enjoy being a part of. And Kirby Smart did talk more about that on Saturday. Let's hear more of Kirby on that subject. I'm just proud of the effort Georgia's put into getting back. He's worked really hard. I mean, this guy's – we know the guys on the team that have had ACLs. It's a, it's a – it's a mental injury as much as it is a physical injury. I mean, it's taxing and it's draining to sit there and watch all your friends go out and, and play in the spring and play the spring game and then go play in the fall and you're sitting there uh, doing rehab all the time. So George loves football and George has always really wanted to get back and uh, have an opportunity to get out there. And we were able to integrate him a little more in practice and try to get him some confidence uh, in his legs and some things. And, and he's done a really good job. He's hit good GPS numbers. He's worked really hard at what he's doing, and uh, he has to continue to do that because it's one thing to just go catch the ball. It's another thing to get the signal, get lined up, know who I block, know what I do, my conversions, and he's still getting all that back kind of in the flow of things. You know, Kirby right there says George loves football, and I think that Georgia fans ought to love guys that love football because that's a difference maker for a team. They don't just, you know, love the glory. They love the act, you know, they love the game. They love the struggle. They love the strain. Kirby loves to use that word strain. Uh, George Pickens seems to be one of those guys. And I've said before that Georgia fans just don't miss a beat. Georgia fans just don't miss anything. And on Saturday, and obviously the stadium was like 70%, 80% dog fans on Saturday, when Pickens came in for that very first play that he came in on, huge eruption, huge cheer. Georgia fans didn't miss it for a second. They were right there on top of it when Pickens came into the game. And it's good that he got that kind of ovation. And listen, I think it's fun to think about what he might do if you're a UGA fan. It's kind of fun to think about what Alabama might have to be considering about whether this is all a smokescreen and he's not going to play or all a smokescreen and he's even healthier than than he's let on. Just the fact that Alabama has to spend a little bit of time thinking about that is kind of fun. So so that that's all really cool. But for me, just stop right now and appreciate a guy who says, hey, I love football so much that I want to be a part of this team. I love football so much that that that, you know, I want to be back out there with my brothers, with my with my guys, with my teammates. And the fact that this Georgia team is the kind of attractive force right now that guys like that are drawn towards. Just stop and appreciate all that for a moment before you even figure out what George Pickens' impact on the SEC championship game might be. By the way, it's also a big weekend coming up. A lot of conference championship games, a lot of fun games to bet on. And that's where our friends at BetUS come in on all this because if you have not signed up for your BetUS account, this is the perfect time to do that because we're heading towards big, big, big series of games coming up here. And a lot of you know a lot about these games and you have a chance to make some money on your expertise. So choose America's most beloved sportsbook, the one that's been taking care of its players for more than 25 years. That's what BetUS is. In fact, their incentives for you start the moment you sign up because when you do sign up at BetUS.com, you're going to get 125% initial deposit bonus. That's a sign-up bonus just for joining my friends at BetUS. In simple language, what that means is that BetUS is going to put more money in your account to start than you put in there. That means if you put in 100 bucks, they're going to put $125 in. It's 125% of what you put in there. You're literally a winner before you place your first bet, before you win your first bet. That is what BetUS is doing for you. But you got to use the promo code DN125 to take advantage of that. The DN stands for Dog Nation. D DN 125. Take advantage of that at betus.com today. 125% initial sign up bonus. All right, I mentioned this before. Beat Bama is the phrase for the week. We're going to use that and just really try to get this into the air as much as we can. We want the atmosphere filled with thoughts about Beat Bama as we head towards uh, Saturday. It's going to be. Uh, oh boy, what a day it's going to be. So with that in mind, let's also, uh, and by the way, I'm saying all this as a hint of what would maybe be a good golden shoe submission as we roll through the week. So with all that in mind, let me also give our buddy Matt Rukavina, who's, let's see, he's one of our great video commenters, he's a world traveler. He was in Hawaii for the uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Look at Matt having a good time there. I love the fact that he wrote 12-0 and 0 in the sand there. Boy, boy look at the... Uh, Hawaiian Islands, they look great. That gets you excited about being on the Royal Caribbean cruise, too. But 12-0, and 0, he writes uh, on his uh, beach there. And so we'll make our buddy Dog in Houston the uh, Golden Shoe winner for today. By the way, Gator Hater Countdown, Billy Napier's first taste comes 334 days from right now when he's going to find out 
just how not fun it is to be a coach against George in this rivalry right now. Y'all have a great day. That's our Gator Hater Countdown. We'll see you tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window in Door, Georgia. We'll talk to you then, everybody. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. We'll take some of your comments here. Uh, brought to you by R.S. Andrews, the one you turn to for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. They show up on time. They do the work that's promised for the price that's promised, including if your water heater goes out. In many cases, R.S. Andrews can replace it for you the same day. So find them online at rsandrews.com. Fantastic Six writes in on Twitter saying, B.A., do you think that Georgia will still make the playoff even if it were to lose a close game to Alabama? I mean, we would only have one loss. And I have been very slow to want to say that, but I think now I think you do have to probably say it, that that I would be shocked even if Georgia loses on Saturday if it doesn't make the college football playoff. At a certain point, you just don't have anybody else to put in the playoff. That's part of the issue here. Uh, but also as of what Georgia has just kind of proven over the course of the year, they just sort of feel like they've you know kind of earned that right. So I've been slow to want to say that and – Obviously, I don't think that Georgia wants to count anything before it actually happens. But in my belief that, yeah, even if Georgia loses on Saturday, they probably make the college football playoff. Smart's the man writes in to say, the matchup about Saturday I'm most excited about is the Dogs' defensive line against the Alabama offense. Actually, let me do this real quick before I read this comment. So let's say that what I just said is true, that Georgia does have a playoff appearance sewn up you're still playing for something on Saturday because you're playing for the chance to eliminate Alabama. That, and, and I talked about this on video a moment ago. That I've kind of evolved my opinion here a little bit that I used to think that a two-loss Alabama team would also likely make the college football playoff. I think the way that Bama's playing week to week now makes that more difficult to do. It's just harder to argue for them because they're just, they're just not really beating people in, a, in an impressive fashion right now. Now you could have enough chaos on conference championship Saturday that they're re-invited into the discussion again. But in all likelihood, I think a Georgia win on Saturday accomplishes the act of vanquishing the Crimson Tide from the from the playoff debate. And so from that standpoint, you've got plenty of motivation for Saturday in that you get to call yourself SEC champion. You get to be the one seed. You would have a very favorable matchup as a four seed in all likelihood against the four seed in all likelihood. And you've eliminated the need to beat Alabama twice, which would be a pretty valuable commodity. Uh, Smarts the man writes in to say the matchup I'm most excited about for Saturday is the Dogs' defensive line against the Alabama offensive line. That's something we also talked about off the top of today's show. He says it could be a huge matchup problem for Bama. Certainly the Auburn game suggests that it was. On the flip side, he says the Bama receivers against the Dogs' secondary and linebackers will also be interesting. Looks like an advantage Bama, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I think for both teams, here's the issue. That when you have an advantage on paper, I think you have to find a way to make the advantage count during the game. It's not enough to have the perceived advantage. It's also the job of utilizing the advantage to your advantage, for lack of a better way to say that, on Saturday, especially for Georgia, which has that dominant defense, dominant defensive line of scrimmage. Alabama seemingly vulnerable along the offensive line. It seems fairly easy to exploit that. In most cases, that's the way things are going to go. But really finding a way to maximize that advantage, that's a big job for the Georgia coaching staff on Saturday. I believe that's true. Great comments here on both Twitter and dognation.com. We'll come back. We'll do more of these tomorrow. Thanks for being here for R.S. Andrews podcast cooldown. Please check out R.S. Andrews at rsandrews.com. Oh, if your heating system is on its last legs, let R.S. Andrews get some more life out of that unit for you. Uh, they'll get it tuned back up for by they'll get it tuned back up to factory fresh specs for you. You can find them online at rsandrews.com. They'll take good care of you on all that. They'll keep you warm and toasty here this winter, even if you've got an old heating system. They'll give you that mega tuna back to factory fresh specs, and you'll be certainly enjoying that. We'll see you tomorrow for R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown and Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Big week, getting ready to beat Bama. Can't wait to do that with you then. See you tomorrow, everybody.